Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And in today's episode, I wanted to take a look at a writing convention, and that is the paragraph or the paragraph break. Uh, I think there was a single moment uh, of genesis in my desire to do this episode, and it's that, uh, you know, some number of weeks back, I was doing research for some episode and I ended up looking up an archived plain text version of an old book. Rob, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've had this issue yep. on the show before. So you get plain text and the text is there, but all the original paragraph breaks are messed up. Like they're, they're either in the wrong place or there are no breaks. And I was like trying to read it. And I was just like, this is horrible. I, I hate this. Even though the whole text is here, I'm basically incapable of reading it. Somehow the existence of paragraphs with reasonable breaks is what makes a massive text physically consumable to me. Right. And, if, and certainly if 
it is supposed to be paragraphs. It's supposed to have paragraph breaks in it. Um, it it's like if someone were to bring a seven-course meal to you and say, here, here it is in stew form. Um, yeah. Please enjoy it. I mean, it, it, it hasn't been blended up in this scenario at all. So it's not like it is it is garbled. All of it is still there, but here it is without the little breaks. Here it is just all, uh, you know, either either in the same pot or even just mashed together on the same plate. No, no, no. I want these, we need these breaks between these different uh, things that we're going to consume. Uh, it, there needs to be an order to, to what is occurring. Right. Why not just put the tiramisu in the clam chowder and then you get it all at once? Um <laughs> Yeah, and so this got me thinking about paragraphs in general and wondering about where they come from uh, historically and why we build them the way that we do, if there even is a consistent way that we build them, and all kinds of questions like this. And one thing I thought might be interesting to get us kicked off today is to just talk about the literary effect, the effect on the reader uh, when you're reading a book with a lot of long paragraphs versus short paragraphs, like how does that change the experience of reading and the impression created? Uh, I'm sure other people have different ways of answering this, but one immediate distinction I thought of in my own reading experience has to do with the feeling of substance versus the feeling of momentum. And I, I would explain it like this. When I think about good books with very short paragraphs, I tend to think about readability and hookiness, like, uh, you know, airport thriller novels. They tend to have very short paragraphs, and those short paragraphs are, I think, effective for what they're meant to do. They, they tend to make the text easy to read. They make it feel like it's fast-moving and inviting. It wants to keep you reading, making you less likely to put the book down. Meanwhile, when I think about good books with very long paragraphs, I tend to think about literary richness, like uh, obsessive observation or description or insight, texts that feel like they are packed with detail and texture and thoughtfulness. Um, so I, in trying to like balance out the, those two different advantages you get from different paragraph lengths, uh, I came up with a kind of perhaps silly metaphor, but I started thinking about trips to bring groceries in from the car. You know, you ever go out mm -hmm. shopping, you have a bunch of different things and you can, you know, you can take one or two bags each time, or you can try to do everything in one go, but sometimes that's impossible and you have to stop halfway to the door. Uh, so like when your paragraphs are too short, it's almost like you're trying to bring the groceries in one item at a time. Something just starts to feel kind of insubstantial and absurd about what you're doing. But if paragraphs are too long, that's kind of like trying to bring everything in in one trip and you just stop. Like you have to put it down and, and decide, okay, I can't do this. So you're kind of balancing mobility, uh, the mobility of carrying less with the substance of carrying more. Uh, I think that's a good, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. That certainly because uh, because the other side of that is I'm instantly thinking of the person that is obscenely trying to carry all the groceries in in one go, like you know, yeah. and I've I've I think I've tried to do this before where you, you're you're just you have multiple grocery bag straps on each uh, hand, you have something on your yeah. arm, I do you also this are too. cradling something, <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, I guess you're planning on opening the door with your foot or just slamming into it or hoping there's somebody on the other side to help you in. And here's the thing, as the reader, like, I'm either the door or I'm the person on the other side of the scenario. And, and you yes. would want to be like, calm down a little bit. Like I, I bought the book or I, I rented the book or I borrowed the book from the library, whatever the case may be. We can get to all this. We don't have to have it all in the first paragraph. Right. 
and th- this is not I think this is not unique to modern readers. I mean, people who are writing uh, handbooks of, of composition and rhetoric uh, in, in centuries past warn that overly long paragraphs have the effect of, quote, overtaxing the reader. There's something about uh, unbroken blocks of text that just gets tiresome. And somehow, mm-hmm. even though the text continues either way, just putting more breaks in between, separating that into smaller chunks, smaller paragraphs, somehow makes the text feel lighter. And like you're just sort of like skipping over it at a, you know, at a breezy pace, as opposed to getting bogged down and, and feeling this weight. I was looking around for different writings on paragraphs, and I actually came across a 1968 paper titled Writing Paragraphs by Tolkien et al. Uh, and it's, it is J.R.R. Tolkien himself. And wow. kind of weird, weirdly enough, one of the co-authors was a professor at Memphis State in Tennessee. Uh, huh. I, I didn't get to the, the bottom of, of how these individuals all came together uh, on uh, being credited on the same paper, but it gets into some of the basics and challenges and goals of, of teaching effective writing. But even in this paper, the authors point out that the unity of a given paragraph is often illusory. Uh, A longer paragraph, they point out, can often be broken into without upsetting anything. And they point out, for instance, this is often done uh, certainly at the editing phase in newspapers. Uh, the, The author wrote a paragraph. It's a little bit too long looking on the screen. You just chop that sucker in half. And a lot of times you can do that without any ill effect. And likewise, they point out that the reverse is true in many cases. You can take shorter paragraphs and kind of combine them together and you're not going to effectively break anything. So that's, I think that's something interesting to keep in mind, even though at the same time they are acknowledging that, yeah, a lot of paragraph writing is about, okay, here's your, uh, this is the stuff we all learn in school, right? Here is our, our topic sentence. Then we have supporting sentences and the paragraph is supposed to be this one concise nugget of thought for us to consume. Well, that's a great transition to the next thing I wanted to to get at, which is that, you know, of course, we're talking about reporting our subjective feelings as a reader on, you know, reading paragraphs of different lengths. But the other side of the approach to paragraphs is the more prescriptive approach. You know, here's what a paragraph must do with the most famous or, uh, if you like, infamous prescription being that a paragraph must develop a single idea and that idea must be announced near the beginning of the paragraph in a topic sentence. And then there must be supporting sentences. Uh, and, you know, we, we can talk more about the, the prescriptive idea of the paragraph later, I guess. But anyway, I find it interesting to consider the surface level paradox that paragraphs are absolutely essential to most modern readers. I think you and I are probably not un- unique in this. Like the prospect of reading a book or even a long article that's just a single unbroken block of text makes my blood run cold. I could not do <laughs> it. And yet it is difficult to explain exactly what the rules are for creating paragraphs like they're essential but uh but attempts to codify them in a universal way are i i I would argue uh and i think we will argue later on pretty much universally failures at, at least at describing the way paragraphs are actually used in popular writing you know so questions about where do we break the line and why are in some ways still kind of elusive even though breaking the line is a must yeah now i don't know how successful this will be but i did at least 
think, is it possible to mention favorite paragraph breaks in writing? Uh, I, I was struggling to have any, like, obviously I have a lot of bits of writing that are a paragraph, but um, I, I was struggling to think of examples where the break of the paragraph is what I admire in the writing, as essential as it is to a piece of writing as a whole. Yeah, I was, once you brought this up, I was thinking on it on, on my own here and I was thinking, well, okay, what are, what are bits that stand out to me in writing? And I found that a lot of times the things that come to me the easiest are opening lines or sometimes closing lines uh, from, from novels. And a lot of those, a lot of the time, if not all the time, it's super short. It's often not even perhaps a true clinical paragraph in that it, in that it is actually just one line. And like a couple of examples that I instantly thought of, well, Dante's Inferno has a great one. In the, in, of course, we're getting into poetry here. We're getting into stanzas. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's effectively a sentence. In the middle of the journey of our life, I came to myself in a dark wood for the straight way was lost. Uh, an even better example, and this is from an actual novel, this is from Alain Robegrelet's The Voyeur. Uh, it just begins with a, a, a short sentence. It was as if no one had heard. And I always loved that one because it's so evocative. Uh, like, what what is the thing that no one had, had heard? Why had they not heard it? And who is making or what is making the sound? Like, it, it asks so many questions that I have to keep moving. Uh, another good one, Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. It was a pleasure to burn. Oh, that's interesting. So these prose works, I've read these, but I uh, uh, I did not recall the the opening paragraphs being a single line. Yeah, a couple of other ones that came to mind. Uh, Neuromancer by William Gibson. The sky above the port was the color of television turned to a dead channel. Or this is a famous one as well from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas by Hunter S. Thompson. We were somewhere around Barstow on the edge of the desert when the drugs began to take hold. Uh, yeah, that's, that's another good one. So you're a fan of the the short, possibly single sentence opening paragraph in fiction, at least. Yeah, yeah. There's something about this, like that one line that's really the really either either it really makes me think and establishes kind of a vibe, or in some cases it establishes a definite a definite setting or scenario rather succinctly. Uh, for instance, the uh, like the Gibson one to a certain is really more about vibe. Um, the voyeur quote is more about vibe. The Hunter S. Thompson one is is vibe and setting. It gives you a sense of where we're going and sort of what is going on. I was uh, obviously I'm a big fan of Dune, so I thought, well, what was the first line of Dune? I can't remember it off the top of my head. There, if you skip past the the quote from uh, uh, from the princess, uh, the first line is in the week before their departure to Arrakis, when all the final scurrying about had reached a nearly unbearable frenzy, an old crone came to visit the mother of the boy Paul. Now that's that's not a paragraph that I would just say, oh, I put that on a T-shirt for me, or or can I have that inscribed in my flesh? But it is a great a great opening pair, uh, opening line that just establishes exactly what is going on and gives you you know gives you some mystery. I guess you don't know what Arrakis is at this point, and you are instantly wondering, well, who is this old crone? And uh, it, it it sets the story and uh, it does a good job of just uh, just having us dive directly into the action, really. But I, I couldn't remember or just looking around really quickly find an example of a, of a multi-sentence paragraph, uh, particularly an opening paragraph uh, from a work that I held to a really high standard. I don't know. How about you, Joe? I'm sure if I had more time thinking about this, I could come up with good examples, but, but I have not. Because again, I think paragraph breaks are essential, but I have not scrutinized individual breaks enough that it 
that they really like stick with me. They're, they're something that is essential, but they mostly to me become invisible in a text. I don't remember where the line breaks happen usually. Yeah, if a paragraph is is put together effectively and it's doing its job, you don't notice. That's one of the things about it. Uh, it's it's it's. I, I've never had the experience of reading something to think, yeah, that's a great place for a paragraph break. I might think the other, <laughs> the opposite of that. I might think, couldn't we have broken this up a little bit more, um, Frank Herbert or wh- whoever I'm happening to read? And it's not necessarily. I was, I was thinking about this as well. Like, what is the experience of reading a text that is not just one big breakless paragraph, but has, but does have some rather expansive paragraphs. I find that sometimes when I'm looking at this page, I still have a gut instinct that it looks like work. Like, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, even though the thing is, if it's a book that I'm even halfway interested in, it's not like big paragraphs are a stumbling block to me. It's not like I get lost in them or uh, I'm not going to finish them. It's not like I need to, to the, you know, artificially throw in paragraph breaks for my own reading. Uh, it works just fine. But there's something, maybe it's like a callback to, uh, to early reading experiences, but there's sort of that initial uh, uh, impact in my psyche where it's like, oh, these paragraphs are too long. What is this author doing? Oh, this is funny, though, because inserting your own paragraph breaks in uh, the work of an author who otherwise creates really unholy chunks, mm-hmm. uh, this is something that some like teachers actually do. And one oh, specific really? writer huh. I was reading for this episode uh, talks about doing. So uh, one of the main things I-, I was reading in preparation for this was a great essay by a scholar named Richard Hughes Gibson called Past Lives of the Paragraph, which was published in the Hedgehog Review. Uh, That's an interdisciplinary culture journal based out of the University of Virginia. And I'll refer back to this article several times in the episode. But towards the end of his article, Gibson tells a story about how several years back, he was um, trying to prepare a reading for students. uh, And this was by a critic who, uh, well, I'll just here read from from what uh, Gibson writes, quote, said critic had a uh, penchant for composing labyrinthine paragraphs, which I now realized would quickly exhaust my students. Although I felt a tinge of compunction about tampering with those paragraphs, I set to work knowing this was the only way of salvaging the reading. The breaks came easily, though, and I soon found the work enjoyable. I was seeing the piece in a new way, and I, quote, discovered several remarkable sentences that I had overlooked while navigating my way through the labyrinths. Uh, and then he also says that this did indeed make the this article much more enjoyable for the students, and he just started doing it in all his other classes. When somebody has huge paragraphs, he would just mm-hmm. go in and edit them to add in paragraph breaks. And you could see, so, I don't know, an author might be mad to find out somebody was doing that to their work, but you can also clearly see the advantage. Yeah, yeah. It, may, it does make me wonder if there are new editions of books that come out that that engage in this, or is it considered um, forbidden? You know, uh, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be very curious to hear about this. Um, I was uh, when I was looking around for uh, some other info about this. I, I did run across uh, a, a paper titled "How to Write a Thesis According to Umberto Eco" by Umberto Eco, and in it he briefly touches on the paragraph, uh, and he um, he writes the following quote: "Begin new paragraphs often." Do so when logically necessary and when the pace of the text requires it. But the more you do it, the better. 
Uh, that's funny because Echo has a tendency to write some really long paragraphs. But I mean, in his in his defense, a, a lot of his long paragraphs are full of exactly that quality of richness that I was uh, mentioning earlier. Like the, mm-hmm. the the long paragraphs feel substantial. They're full of uh, detail and insight. Yeah, uh, this, of course, I I was thinking about other authors that I've really loved over the years, and I started thinking about Cormac McCarthy, of course, who is often very succinct, especially in his later uh, works, or really most of his works past the the, the first novel. Um, Its name uh, uh, leaves me at the moment, but his first novel is a little bit um, denser. Uh, but uh, but but a lot of his later work, especially his more recent work, is often characterized by being just you know very succinct, uh, short sentences, uh, mm-hmm. no quotation marks. Uh, but occasionally you get a nice like super run on long sentence uh, that is essentially like a big paragraph that is almost the opposite of what we're talking about here, where it just keeps going and going. But at the same time, it has a rhythm to it and uh, an intensity, and the mere, mere fact that it won't end is like like it's like a crazy thought being poured directly into your brain and you can't quite turn it off. Yeah, long paragraphs can definitely lend themselves to a kind of obsessive, immersive, or stream of consciousness quality to the text. It's, uh, you know, when you are like stuck deep in somebody else's brain and you're not coming up for air, that's often going to be a long paragraph. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's almost like there's a conversational aspect to to paragraph breaks. Like, this is the amount of, of text that is occurring before the speaker pauses, has a sip of their beverage, gives you an opportunity to to think or say something in return. But if it's just that paragraph, then perhaps you're being preached at. Mm. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. 
Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Um, I, I was thinking, I, was, I also was thinking, okay, obviously paragraph breaks. I think we all agree that these are great. But surely there's somebody out there who's gotten a bit experimental and decided I will craft a work of fiction uh, that has no paragraph breaks. And uh, I, I, didn't, I don't remember ever encountering anything like this. I've certainly read books that, for instance, don't have quotation marks for dialogue. Or I think I've read books that don't have indentions on new paragraphs i'm trying mm. to remember what this would have been i think it was an anthony burgess book but i i don't re- recall uh, mm. I've, I've certainly read books where you have you know large sections written in fictional slang it's etc but i've never encountered anything that is one massive chunk of text i looked around to see if such a thing existed and i did find some threads on like a creative writing board uh, message board where someone was like, hey, I'm thinking of writing something with, with no paragraph breaks. What does everyone think? And, uh, and there were some great answers. You know, people were like, well, I, I think it's going to be hard for folks to digest. I think it's going to, you know, they're going to potentially recoil from seeing that big, massive block of text. And and so it was, it was interesting because, yeah, there's so many things you can you can break and play with as a writer, potentially, uh, and, and more so if you know what you're doing. But but when it comes to the paragraph break, it, it does seem like there is something from the modern standpoint anyway that is essential about it. Yes, and I think this will make a great transition to talking a bit about the history of the paragraph, where paragraphs come from, because mm-hmm. 
If you go back far enough in uh, in history, you're going to find a lot of literature that is made entirely with that block of text mentality. Man, you hate big blocky masses of text. Look at like an ancient Greek manuscript and and just feel the chill. Yeah, this and and I I was I was looking at some of these examples and and so I, I couldn't help but think a lot about the medium involved too. So like if you go back and look at super old examples of writing that have have survived, you're looking at things like oracle bones, which um, uh, you know oftentimes you're dealing with with like say the bones from a turtle, part of the shell, that sort of thing with inscriptions on it, or you're dealing with. Uh, with like wooden strips, uh, you see that sometimes from um, uh, from 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 you know Indian traditions. Uh, there's also, uh, the, of course, the use of clay tablets, and a lot of times you you probably have to realize, okay, this is this was relatively expensive and and it consumed a lot of time and energy. So you would want to fit as much text on one of those as possible. And at the same time, there's only so much text you could get on there. You know. Uh, like how many thoughts could you effectively encode into an oracle bone? Um, uh, in, even, even if you're in, even if what you're putting down is certainly maybe not a diary entry, but it's more about just recording figures and facts and that sort of thing. Well, I do think a lot of the conventions of writing might be contingent on uh, uh, differences between a, a document scarcity culture and a document rich culture, uh, mm-hmm. which I think we, you know, sort of came up when we were talking about the history of technologies for duplicating documents. Um, that, you know, people just have different ways of approaching writing when written documents are something that is expensive and scarce versus when they're just, you know, cheap to make and all over the place. Yeah. So, yeah, from our modern standpoint, uh, I was was trying to think, well, what is my relationship with paragraph breaks? And I I tend to think of it as kind of like the breath of the text, you know? It's Mm -hmm. the fluctuating intensity of the, the author's mental process. Uh, and I also feel that you know, with a very visual mind and and one hone for for fiction reading by film viewing to a large degree, I think you know, like I, I was viewing films and viewing TV before I was reading, and and so to a certain extent, the paragraph breaks are also sort of like stage direction. Like, look at this now, look at this, and mm. they can help drive home shifts in tone, intensity, and character, and so forth. Um, so it's, you know, from our modern standpoint, the format is part of the signal. Strip the format away and the signal is degraded. Like that big block of text, if you uh, take any given work, um, you know, you, you take up, certainly if you take something like any of the books that we've discussed so far uh, and, and you take all the paragraph breaks out, it's not going to be the same because it's like the, the breath patterns of the voice speaking to you are altered. Uh, but what if the text is written in such a way that the characters, the symbols and the words alone are the signal. How do you denote shifts in subject matter? How do you do the things that paragraph breaks do? Uh, and, and, and also, like, where, where and how does that emerge out of our, uh, our, our written language traditions? Yeah, and to imagine documents where the signal is really just the sequence of the characters, like the letters in the words, a great thing to look at is actual ancient Greek and Roman documents. Uh, These things used to often be written on papyrus scrolls. Uh, So remember, these would not be books like ours with flippable pages. The the format with flippable pages like we use today is called a codex. The scroll is the one continuous sheet. 
And text mm-hmm. on these scrolls of papyrus was generally written uh, until until more like in the medieval period in a method called scriptio continua. And this means there is no punctuation between sentences and there are no spaces between words. No spaces between words. It's up to you to figure out where one word stops and another one starts. Uh, they don't have punctuation between sentences and they very mm-hmm. likely don't have paragraph breaks but there might be something in there to signal some kind of transition to help you out uh no is this as as this was a written language of symbols what did we do well we turned to symbols to denote these shifts i was uh, initially reading about this in the origin of the pilcrow aka the strange paragraph symbol by jimmy stamp for smithsonian in 2013 and stamp writes that if we go back to around 200 ce we'd find paragraphs, quote-unquote, which uh, could loosely be understood as changes in topic, speaker, or stanza that were separated by various symbols that scribes had developed independently uh, out of the need for such breaks, but without any kind of top-down consistency. So, uh, the scribes here in this part of uh, of Europe might be using one thing. Over here, they're using another thing. Just different traditions, uh, different symbols emerging. Stamp writes, quote, Some used unfamiliar symbols that can't easily be translated into a typed blog post. Some used something as simple as a single line, while others used the K for kaput, for uh, the, the Latin word for head. Languages change, spellings evolve, and by the 12th century, scribes abandoned the K in favor of the C for capitulum, little head, to divide text into capitula, also known as chapters, like the treble clef, the pilcrow evolved due to the inconsistencies inherent in hand drawing. As it became more widely used, the C gained a vertical line in keeping with the latest rubrication trends, and other more elaborate embellishments eventually becoming the character seen at the top of this post. And the character in question is the pilcrow, which uh, you can you can all look look this up if you you're not envisioning it already. It's this curious, slightly ornate symbol that looks kind of like a backwards P with a a stalk made out of two vertical lines, and the hollow of the P is often filled in so that it's solid. Does that that seem like a reasonable um, description of this strange symbol? Yeah, um, it's the thing that I remember first seeing when I was like trying to to edit documents in an early version of Microsoft Word, and I yep. accidentally clicked some setting where suddenly every line break had one of these, and I was like, ah, how do I make them go away? Uh, <laughs> but in fact, it used to be quite common for, say, medieval manuscripts to be full of these symbols. Yeah, yeah, and, and indeed, I, indeed, I think most of, of, of modern readers are going to be familiar with this from doing the same thing, clicking on the wrong thing in a word processor and seeing all the pilcrows, seeing all the little machine elves that are making paragraph breaks possible. Um, I think there are also some uh, some modern legal and academic writing uh, uses of the pilcrow, uh, but it uh, but it's you know it's used in web publishing, it's used in proofreading, uh, but it has this origin in just a way to break up thoughts. Yes, and so strangely enough, the word paragraph, though now the word refers to a chunk of text itself, the word actually comes from uh, the the Greek originally paragraphos, which means written beside, you know, to write beside something, and that comes from the fact that originally paragraph breaks 
come from this practice of making some kind of mark in the margin of a document. So you'd have like a papyrus mm-hmm. scroll. It's just got this big unbroken chunk of letters just marching down the page. And the way you signal some kind of transition, and as you said, Rob, it wasn't consistent. It wasn't like a, there were st- you know stable rules for when you use the, the paragraphos and when you don't. Uh, it just means something is changing here. Maybe it's a change, a new sentence begins on this line, or maybe it's that there's a change in speakers in a drama or a philosophical dialogue or something, or a change of topic. It's just something is different here. And originally, that's this line, just like a dash in the margin. And then over time, it changes into these letters you're talking about, like the K or the C in, in Latin manuscripts. And then eventually, the C gets these bars and it becomes the pilcro. But I think this is all originally derived from this paragraphos marker, just the dash in the margin. It says, something's different now. Yeah, yeah. This uh, this post I was looking at by Stamp. Uh, he's uh, he's uh, citing Keith Houston's Shady Characters: The Secret pa- The Secret Life of Punctuation Symbols and Other Typographical Marks, and it gets into like the, 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 the basically the. the the, the death of the Pilcrow. Where does the Pilcrow go? And it's actually a, a pretty interesting story because basically what ends up happening in the medieval period is they're being used more and more. Uh, but then it, it, they start to sort of vanish in the, the late medieval period. And the, the main reason is that you have texts being copied. Uh, the, you know, that was how you reproduce texts, as we've discussed in the show before. And you had these Pilcrows, which had become increasingly... Um, artistic and ornamental in nature. And when you had things like that in a manuscript that was being copied, well, somebody else had to come back in and add those in later. You just had to leave a space for them. Um, and that's, uh, that's the job that would fall to the rubricators. They'd be the ones that come back in and add the red ink or other special effects that need to be a part of this uh, you know, illuminated manuscript that's being copied. Um, that's that's actually where their name comes from. Rubric is from mm-hmm. the Latin meaning red. So like the word rubric is derived from the idea of a heading in a document that might be written in red because of these, these people, the rubricators, who were using red ink. Yeah, they, they fe- it sounds kind of nefarious, doesn't it? The rubricators. Yeah. Um, I wonder if anyone has has used that uh, in a nefarious fashion and in, in, in some sort of strange fiction before. The red letter men. Mm. But uh, but anyway, yeah. So you have all these uh, these these blanks that have to be left when you're copying manuscripts, and the thing is. As the, as the work piles up, sometimes that the rubrication doesn't get done. Those those spaces remain in the finished text, and then this carries on. Uh, apparently, when we get to the advent of the printing press as well, early printed books were printed with spaces for hand drawn effects uh, such as pilcrows. So you know you're you're using the the adjustable typeface, you're using the you know the block letters and all. You're printing stuff out, but then somebody needs to come back in and add that pilcrow, and sometimes they don't. Uh, and, and certainly this became the case as demand grew, rubricators couldn't keep up, and the pilcrow dies out, but the spaces for the pilcrow remain. It's almost like if you go into an old house and they still have the, the, like the little nook for a rotary phone. Have you been in one of mm. these, Joe? Oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, so it's like th- th- that technology is obsolete now, but the space where it went, uh, it still remains. 
So what began as a kind of vaguely defined punctuation mark that would be in the margin beside a column of text eventually becomes a more sort of inline punctuation mark and then eventually just becomes a space in the line, a line break and an indentation. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. 
Inspired by guaranteed, straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. I just wanted to add one more interesting thing about the uh, the old school paragraphos mark in like uh, Greek and Latin manuscripts. This is from that article by uh, Gibson that I mentioned earlier. So Gibson points out that scholars believe that in many or most cases, these marks in the documents cannot be traced back to the original author. Instead, they are usually something that would be added to a text, either by a reader or by a scribe or editor making a copy of a text. Because remember, in the ancient world, there was no printing press. Books had to be copied by hand. And we can tell that the paragraphos marks were probably added at some point after the original author, because sometimes they appear in different places in different copies of the same document. And so I think it's interesting to think about... um, paragraph breaks as being in a way descended from something that wasn't encoded as a part of the text at the author's discretion, but at, say, a copyist's discretion or at the reader's discretion. They might make these marks themselves on their own copy of the document for their own reading uh, convenience. Gibson also talks about uh, how, so for like the cultural descendants of of Greek and Roman rhetoric and composition, the the scriptio continua system, the one where it's just this block of of marching letters that goes straight down the scroll mm-hmm. in a column, uh, that that came apart for several reasons in the the medieval period. Uh, one thing that Gibson draws attention to is the switch from the scroll to the codex. Uh, you know, the codex again is like modern day books, but with uh, back then they would have often been with pages made out of animal skins. And this change in medium brought about a number of different ways of thinking about a text and how it's presented to a reader. There's also uh, Gibson refers to a switch uh, to what paleographer M.B. Parks calls a quote grammar of legibility around the eighth and ninth centuries. So it seems like you got a lot of people with sort of middling literacy participating in the copying and reading of documents like, uh, you know, monks and, uh, and people within the, uh, the Carolingian Renaissance. Uh, basically they were trying to come up with new ways of writing that would make texts easier to read, especially if your language and literacy skills are not top notch. And so there were a, a number of legibility innovations in writing. One example would be the, the introduction of lowercase script. So you have capital letters and lowercase letters to help, uh, help organize the, the words you're looking at. And the other big one is spaces between words. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Uh, And in this period, uh, Gibson writes that medieval scribes also continued the tradition of of uh, identifying transitions of one kind or another, uh, subsections within text, with that paragraphos marker. And then it's in in this literary tradition that the the paragraphos marker goes through all these, um, you know, morphing into different letters and then eventually becomes the pilcrow, which then eventually in the technological sphere of the printing press, uh, in some cases, and then in most cases, just becomes blank space. Yeah, and uh, I found it interesting too, thinking about this, like going from 
from, from the initial, uh, you know, the initial transformation from from using the, these uh, these hand copied text to using the printing press, but still holding on to things like uh, uh, like hand drawn illustrations, hand drawn um, pilcrows, and so forth. It, it made me think about what happens when we do when we shift to a new technology or a new medium. Uh, I think another example. This is one we've touched on, on the show before. Is by going increasingly going to PDFs and uh, in electronic texts, essentially that's more in line with the scroll. There doesn't need to be a page break, page to page. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, viewing wise, you don't have to have one if you don't want one. But I know for my part, I want those those page breaks in there. Like something feels weird, organizationally weird, even on electronic text, which I use all the time, especially for work. And but I, but I feel like there needs to, I need to feel like I'm looking at a digital version of a physical page in a physical book rather than the sort of, of of endless stream that it actually is. Well, yeah, and sometimes you would have to wonder, like, is it actually arbitrary which uh, elements of composition, which, like, structural elements of composition are preserved across different media and which are not? So uh, when you read an ebook, they almost always are going to keep the author's original paragraph breaks, right? It's not going to rearrange what's a paragraph or make shorter paragraphs or something, but the original page breaks are of no concern at all. In fact, probably even, you know, the original printing of that book may have had different page breaks than whatever form the author composed it in, whether on a typewriter or handwritten or whatever. And so we've just decided that, well, the page needs to look the same in terms of where the paragraphs are broken, but not it does not need to look the same in terms of where the pages are broken. And <laughs> I see no reason where, why like it would have to be that way, you know? But even that, I have to admit, seems a little wrong at times. Like, I don't know if this is everyone else's experience, but when I'm reading books on my Kindle, um, I'll skip to the next page and sometimes I'll come back or I'll, you know, I'll accidentally turn the page and I'll turn back and I'll notice that now the page break occurs at a different spot in the text. And that feels really yeah. wrong to me. It, I feel even though there's no, I don't think there's any way you could have that uniform, especially when you have the the luxury of being able to to change the size of the font on the screen and so forth. But mm-hmm. it feels weird that I shouldn't have internal consistency regarding <laughs> when a page ends and when it begins. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think we have expectations established on the basis of physical printed books where, you know, that just mm-hmm. doesn't change. Right. I'm not saying it messes me up or really pisses me off or anything, but it's just something I casually notice as I'm reading. It's like, what? Now the page ends on this paragraph? Well, th- this also makes me think about something Gibson mentions uh, in this essay, which is uh, he writes, quote, medieval readers and writers were thus increasingly attentive to the visual appearance of the page and as a, uh, and as a result recognize the paragraph's significant place within it. So it's sort of in the medieval period that the paragraph becomes an important part of reading. Uh, and I was thinking about this, you know, I have a, a layperson's perspective on this, so I, I don't know if this is a good insight, but I was at least wondering, okay, so you look at like medieval practices of producing highly decorated texts with, you know, beautiful lettering and calligraphy, illustrations and illuminations and so forth. It seems to me you find a lot less of that in earlier texts. Uh, you Like if you look at copies of the same books from centuries earlier, for example, the Bible, uh, the earlier copies, there often seems to be no attempt whatsoever to improve the aesthetic qualities of the copy. It's more like the scroll is just a purely utilitarian storage medium for the text of the book. 
so that it you know wouldn't be otherwise lost or forgotten and it would probably often be used for being read aloud then you again take the same text and look at a medieval manuscript it might be gorgeous in some way so it seems possible that the modern concept of the paragraph emerges from a time of more literary luxury when there's a greater emphasis on making manuscripts themselves aesthetically pleasing. Hmm. All right, Rob and I were just talking off mic and we decided we, we have to admit defeat by time. We, we, we had more to talk about. We didn't get to it yet. So this is going to become a two-part episode. Yeah. Maybe it'll give me time to find that actual perfect paragraph from some book I love. I'll, I'll look <laughs> around. Maybe something will pop out at me. All right. Well, join us next time as we continue this discussion, but go ahead and write in. We'd love to hear from you if you have thoughts about the paragraph as we've discussed it thus far. Core episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind published Tuesdays and Thursdays in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. Uh, we are primarily a science podcast, and those are the, the primarily science episodes. On Mondays, we do listener mail. On Wednesdays, we do a short form artifact or monster fact. And on Fridays, we set aside most serious concerns to just talk about a weird film. Huge thanks, as always to our excellent audio producer Seth Nicholas Johnson if you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other to suggest a topic for the future or just to say hello you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio for more podcasts from iHeartRadio visit the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission parking and all-day drinks for one low price but you better hurry because this bundle won't last long 
Save now at cedarpoint.com.